0: Kevin Hargadon, you are the social justice theologian over here in Gardiner Street in the Jesuit Centre for Faith and Justice. And you've been writing about the recent referendum on blasphemy and the result of that referendum, which was an overwhelming um, rejection of any need to have particularly a blasphemy reference in the Constitution. And most of the major churches and religions concurred with that here in Ireland. What was your reaction to the no?
1: It was very unsurprising. I think that a lot of people on the street probably were surprised to find that the Constitution had a clause at all about blasphemy. It seems not just obsolete, as the Catholic bishops put it, but people struggle to imagine how that could ever have been required. Um, so I am unsurprised by the success of the referendum, and I'm unsurprised by the size of its uh, its success.
0: Do you think it's a good result?
1: Yes. Um, I think that it's a good result from theological grounds. I think it's a good result for uh, people of faith. Uh, The blasphemy clause and its associated law from 2009, whether it was intended or not, certainly wasn't the intention of the drafters of the Constitution or Dermot O'Hearn in 2009, but those laws did give support to regimes around the world who are engaged in persecution. Um, So if for no other reason, that's a very good justification for getting rid
0: of it. So you mean people who would protest against, say, radical Islam and then were imprisoned because of that?
1: Yeah, or even uh, there are ongoing cases in Pakistan where um, conversion to Christianity is often treated as a crime. The same occurs in Iran and elsewhere, and our laws were unintentionally justifying uh, these legal regimes elsewhere that are used to oppress people.
0: Is there any justification, though, for people who might say, well, look, let's take the North, for example, at the moment, there's a story running where a group of 10 people dressed up as Ku Klux Klan members and did their protesting with their cross outside of an Islamic cultural centre headquarters there. Now, they can be prosecuted under incitement to hatred, but it's really a religious statement they're making, isn't it?
1: Yeah, and this is an interesting aspect of this uh, bigger conversation. Uh, It's probably more detailed than most people were able to pay attention to. But the referendum came about because the Constitutional Convention recommended it. But they also recommended that the clause in the Constitution relating to blasphemy would be replaced by a robust law against the incitement to specifically religious hatred. Now, there's no moves afoot to, to write that law and to put that into practice, But events in the north and events in Pittsburgh over the weekend demonstrate that it would be very, very wise for the Irish political establishment to start thinking about how do we protect especially religious minorities? Um, Because freedom to express your religious identity is as fundamental a right as we have. And I do worry that um, in the current climate, that kind of conversation would get lost or easily muted in Ireland.
0: So what value do you think would it bring to have that law specifically saying this was a religious hate crime as opposed to just a hate crime?
1: Well, for one thing, it, it might actually get prosecuted. Um, hate crime laws fall under a similar... I, I want to speak carefully here um, because I don't want to be seen as somebody in, in, the, in the prevalent camp that thinks that hate speech should not be a crime. But those laws are often so broad and generalised as to be effectively meaningless. Um, Nobody really wants to prosecute them because then you end up in a slippery slope situation. By narrowing...
0: By slippery slope, you mean censorship, not allowed to protest, not allowed to say something against the ruling class or whatever.
1: Exactly. In in a weird way, um, hate speech law mimics the deficiencies in blasphemy law, which is that If and when it gets deployed, it will invariably be deployed to support the status quo. The the powerful and influential people will be able to use that as a weapon against those who oppose them or who are seen to oppose them. Um, So by writing a law that particularly protects uh, religious expression and religious identity from the kinds of harassment, harassment is too small a word, Uh, the villainous behaviour that we saw in the North over the weekend, that seems to me to be more easily defended in the courts. And it doesn't necessarily spiral out of control such that um, if anybody says anything impolitic, they can be brought before the courts.
0: That's an interesting point because in the North, it gave rise to a debate, public debate on radio. And there were people calling in saying it was a bit of harmless fun. It's Halloween. They're dressing up, you know, get a sense of humour?
1: I mean, the mind boggles. Um, It is Halloween and uh, I have a sense of humour. But the Ku Klux Klan are not a fictional entity. They're not even a thing of the past. People of colour in Ireland are subject to habitual and systematic racism. International footballers are victims of it. Never mind uh, ordinary, decent Muslims on the streets of Belfast. So our legal system needs to protect those who are liable to be oppressed and marginalised. And that kind of speech demonstrates, if nothing else, that we need these laws to be written with care and with speed. Um, because if that is a common, commonly held position out amongst the hoi polloi, then undoubtedly what we're going to have is similar situations arising on the streets of Dublin or Limerick or Cork. And uh, for me, as an Irish citizen in this 21st century, pluralistic, welcoming, inclusive state that we're all very often so proud of ourselves for having, um, I want to be sure that the Sikhs and the Muslims and the Jewish community and all of the small religious uh, communities in our country are safe and protected and are able to flourish. That's part of the common good. So as a Christian theologian, I would A wholeheartedly support the removal of the blasphemy clause and, B, look for robust laws to be drafted against the incitement to religious hatred.
0: As a Christian theologian, do you think you can blaspheme against God? Uh, Meister Eckhart, who was the the Dominican um, follower of, uh, followed on from Thomas Aquinas, Chair of the Order, wonderful philosopher, writer, he said that to utter any, sentence about God is to blaspheme. So we're all blaspheming when we describe or say, I mean, he was trying to hold that utter ineffability of and the unspeakability of the totally unknown, holy other. Nonetheless, the the argument has shifted from blasphemy against God to against the people who speak about it. But as a theologian what do you think on that?
1: Um, a more contemporary exponent of that view would be Wittgenstein who said that where we can't speak we should remain silent. Um, I think that there, there's an essential part of Eckhart's insight that we need to, uh, to hold always in the front of our minds. Um, our speech about God is always broken, is always insufficient. But we must speak nonetheless. So what is blasphemy from a theological perspective? It is taking the Lord's name in vain. That doesn't mean that the guy at the St. Patrick's athletic game that I go to on a Friday night who swears is blaspheming. But he might be blaspheming if he stands up as a pillar of his parish church and talks about the importance of the gospel in terms of private individual spirituality and doesn't care a jot about social justice. So blasphemy is when we um, construe God in public in ways that are diametrically opposed to the reality. Now, of course, none of us get God right, but many of us are very intentional about getting God wrong.
0: So would you say then looking at Ireland today and we talk about Jesus and caring for the homeless, the least of these, my brethren, and yet we have 4000 children uh, homeless, as you've pointed out in one of your writings, you would say that's a blasphemy?
1: Uh, yeah, I, in that um, in that particular piece, I was quoting uh, the great Lutheran theologian, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who talked about um, these uh, pious types, these uh, people who know all the correct answers to doctrinal questions and yet who leave leave the hungry starving uh, when they have the capacity and means by which to fill their bellies and choose instead uh, to satisfy themselves with getting the answers right um, so to the extent that the Irish Church um, thinks that homelessness is not a central concern of our mission, I think the Irish Church is is running the risk of blasphemy, let's put it that way.
0: From a theological term yes. in terms of God. Yeah, yeah. it wouldn't and have the legal implications, obviously. No,
1: I think that that uh, when you shift it to the legal, you're trying to make the things of God into the things of men. And ironically, that is the classic blasphemous move. Um, so I'm not at all in favour of trying to codify what it means to get things right and then put, them in, put those correct principles into the Constitution or into the law. Uh, Christian ethics is much more complicated than that, much closer to jazz, which is improvisational in nature than it is to a classical Baroque piece that can be written down once and then repeated um, ad nauseum at all times. Um, So, but blasphemy, I think, even if it's no longer part of the Irish legal code, it it should remain part of the Irish ecclesial conversation, Um, because ultimately the things that we believe about God, going to determine our politics right truthful and accurate speech about god is the fundamental act of the common good if we get god right everything else will follow um if we listen and hear god's word and then are able to repeat that in our preaching and in our service then that's the job of the church so blasphemy should still be very relevant for christians and christians should be relieved that it is no longer relevant for the judges and the lawyers and the guardy.
0: And finally, you touched on this earlier, but I do think it's an important point, and this is the liberal agenda around freedom of speech and how far one can go with that. So when people talk about God, there is there an argument to say, well, we don't know whether or not there's a being there. So really, it doesn't matter what you say because nobody can prove there is such a being. So really... I I have a right to say whatever I want to say. I'm an agnostic. It doesn't mean anything to me. I might as well be talking about a square circle. And yet, on the other hand, in doing that, people can be incredibly offensive um, to the sensibilities of people who believe deeply in a being. I don't
1: want to appear callous or uh, careless around people's feelings. But in the famous love chapter in 1 Corinthians 13, we read love takes no offence. And I would be a lot happier if Irish Christians were less offendable. Um, That's not to say that there aren't people out there who are seeking to rile us uh, to use the the language the Internet has given us. The society is full of trolls. Um, But we feed them when we choose to get offended. as a still significant part of Irish society and the dominant religion, Christians can't really consider themselves to be the subjects of oppression or persecution here. Um, Like, we're we're having this conversation because the Irish Times have published an op-ed by by somebody making a theological argument. Uh, So, our offence is something that should spur us on in terms of our spiritual growth. It's a question of our discipleship. It shouldn't be a question of public policy. Um, So freedom of speech is a good thing. And we should be protecting freedom of speech because it's not inconceivable that in a generation or two, very basic claims that Christians make might be considered offensive speech. We don't want to license a situation where uh, traditional Christian convictions about anthropology, about sexuality, about economics would be illegal. Um, so it can be you can construe this self-interestedly but fundamentally we want to we want i think as christians look at whether or not we are following jesus fully when we take offense
0: and finally then freedom of speech is really important and yet it doesn't mean necessarily that you should have the right to say whatever you want to say about anything
1: Paul says that uh, all things are permissible, but not necessarily all things are recommended. And I think that...
0: uh, I'm thinking of, say, like, you know, David Irvine, who was a Holocaust denier. I'm thinking of the Marquis de Sade, who promoted in his book, you know, the torture of young children and sexual... I mean, just because it's a good... It's a freedom of speech doesn't mean we... We have incitement to hatred laws and things that are said about travellers. I mean, we need some kind of boundaries to say, no, actually, it's not good enough to say that in a public setting.
1: And I agree. And as as I said at the beginning, I don't want to be taken as somebody who is opposed to hate speech law. But I am agnostic as to whether or not we can legislate civility. And I think that the problem that we see beginning maybe in Ireland and that is recurring across the world, we can think of Hungary, Philippines, America, Brazil, places even... Brexit Britain, where political speech has become so polarised that it is invariably offensive. Um, there's a shallowness to it that borders on the obnoxious. That end result cannot be remedied with law. Uh, there needs to be a public space where difference is respected, not just obliterated in in, in kind of agonistic dispute in, in in the kind of very aggressive conversation that it seems the Irish media wants to incite every time they have a debate or a discussion. Um, So the problem that you rightly identify, for example, if a presidential candidate speaks with shocking disregard for the traveller community, that problem won't be remedied by a hate speech law. A hate speech law, clumsily implemented, will only strengthen such a speech because he will be celebrated because he's the guy who's willing to say what everyone else is thinking. Uh, Christians, therefore, need to um, both on a a basic parish level, be habitually practising the kind of speech that tolerates difference and disagreement um, so that there are at least some places left in the public square where we don't just resort to, to stark divide. Um, I don't know if I'm making sense here, no, no. Um, but uh, all of this for me drives us back to, uh, to the need for the Christian church to be a very real and tangible expression of the different way that Jesus calls us to. So in Glasnevin and in Leeksup and in Westport, there are little church communities where people can be trained in how to speak with one they disagree with uh, in a way that maintains relationship that's pretty close to what the gospel is. And uh, to whatever extent we are not doing that, then we are culpable. And I just don't think that law is the solution there. Uh, Love is gonna be the answer.